morning, everybody. Good morning to everyone online and all the ships at sea. We say good morning to you. We're so grateful that you are uh, in on our, uh, our internet cafe or our internet chapel, whatever it is. We're grateful that you're taking a little time with us to sing uh, and to pray and to listen to a wonderful message and have communion together. Uh, if you haven't already got your communion together from your kitchen, whatever you have, uh, go ahead and do that. Get it together, would ya? Get some bread and some juice or whatever it is you have, and we'll receive uh, communion as a community. As always, uh, if you have a prayer request, you can write it down on Facebook. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions, you can go to ccmonline.org. And to give, you can give at ccmonline.org slash give. So we say hello, online peoples. Our call to worship this morning is from uh, Matthew. Chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. If you'd like to read with me, you can. Um, Or you can just have the words read over you. That is also fine. When the Pharisees heard that he, talking about Jesus, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest, he said to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. Amen. And it's beautiful that we get to come to a table as we prayed with the people who are a part of the body who are... Um, who are really needing us to pray all over the world today. Um, And so in the Holy Land and in the Ukraine and in Calhoun County and everywhere in between and Haiti. So would you just all lift up your own prayers, just name them to God, those prayers that you're holding. They don't have to be any other words but help if that's all that's in your heart to say today and so we trust you God that even as we pray that you're answering you're holding every tender person every person who is calling out to you. And now we want to thank you. We want to thank you for all that's been given to us. So if you just lift up in your own heart, thanks to God. I want to give thanks that Matt and Jamie and Ella came through this accident. I want to say thank you, God, that they are together in a hotel room today. And you're doing what only you can do. Would you say to God, whatever it is that you're holding and give thanks to God that God's goodness will meet them even as you pray for the people that you love from here 
to all the way around the world. In his last meal with his friends, Jesus took bread and broke it and gave thanks and said, Take this, all of you, eat. This is the bread, my body, which is given for you. And every time you come, remember me. And together, friends, can we just say, Jesus, we're remembering you right now. And after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup, lifted it up and gave thanks and said to his friends, this is the cup of the new covenant, covenant that's written in my own lifeblood. It's for you and for all people so that sins are forgiven. And every time you come, remember me. And everyone said, Jesus, we remember you. And Jesus, I pray as people just choose whether they will take their own communion from the back or walk to the front, that it will be very clear that that prayer that they're praying with their own bodies to walk wherever they are so inclined, that you're opening up a new way for them to see and feel and know your grace. so great to be together. I don't know about any of you, but I felt like I went back 10 years this morning (laughs) and I could feel my body in those songs that I sang a long time ago. Um, So if you had a moment like that, I would love to hear about it later. Um, Welcome to Crossroads. If you haven't been here in a while or you're new, we would love to connect with you today. My name is Pastor Hannah Matson, and um, we would love to invite you to step back to the Next Steps kiosk after the service, and we'd love to meet you, hear about your journey, how you ended up here. If you're online or not comfortable talking to someone today, you can also follow the QR code that's about to come onto the screen. And it'll just take you to an online quiz that helps you reflect on how you got here. And if you would like to leave some contact information, one of our pastoral staff would love to follow up with you about that. And I'm just going to share a few things going on at Crossroads, ways that you can connect socially, that you can grow personally and spiritually, um, or serve the church. Um, So we had a great time last night at our CR Youth um, Pumpkin and Bonfire event. We've been doing a bunch of events for youth, and now we're about to start our regular youth group schedule. So um, next Friday night will be the first um, meeting. It'll be a big group, everybody together. Um, and what's going to happen is every month there's going to be one time they're all in one big group, and then two weeks later there's going to be a small group night where middle schoolers and high schoolers break up. So um, if you know anybody, feel free to invite them to that. It'll be great. And then we have a discovery retreat coming up. Um, this is three hours to get away on a Saturday morning, hear from God. Um, and it's also a way to test out if you might be interested in doing something more long-term in a transforming community. And um, on November 19th, after church, we're going to deck the halls. This place is going to turn into a beautiful Christmas wonderland. Um, And you are welcome to stay, eat some pizza, and help us decorate some trees. And if you're more interested in cleaning the walls, we will also have a team that's helping to clean the church as well. And um, that is what's happening at Crossroads. So I think Scott's up.
Thanks, Hannah. Morning, everyone. Morning, Remy. It's our youngest grandchild in the corner, heckling. <laughs> anyway, I uh, hope you're all well today. And uh, we've been in this series on the abundant life, been talking about uh, mainly about finances and our resources and We've spent several weeks on that. If you've missed any of it, just encourage you to go back uh, and check that out. Uh, we'll be kind of pulling that together today, and um, there's some things that maybe you'll you may have missed along the way. That when I say some things today, <clears throat> it would make more sense if you kind of went back and caught up on some of those things. But I'll try to make it as clear as mud uh, this morning. We started last week talking about um, 10 practices for financial holiness, um, and let's, let's go to the scripture first. Why don't we stand and uh, read the scripture together, or you can just listen to it if you'd like. Um, and anyway, let's start with Jesus and his interaction once again with a crowd. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. Now, Let me stop here for a second. So there's essentially 30 parables that Jesus communicates. Out of 30 of them, 19 refer to money or resources directly. So, um, and this is another one of those. Then he told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops and then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and I'll build bigger and lar- I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. So Lord, we just pray that um, not only these words would come alive to us today, but we pray that your spirit would speak to us in our unique life, in our unique circumstance financially, and with the resources you've given us to steward over, each one of us, and then as a church. Help us with that, God. Help us be the kind of people that, is, that are described uh, in this passage of Scripture, that we would be rich toward you, Lord, and help us to know what that means. In the name of Jesus, amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> uh, sometimes folks get confused. Some people get confused around these kinds of passages of Scripture And immediately default to say, see, this is Jesus saying that nobody should have a lot of resources. But that's not really here at all. And you don't really find that in other places. It's always, there's a challenge with that. 
And as we've been talking about, and we'll talk about a little bit more today, um, the resources that are released into your life um, are connected to what God's designed you to do and be. So it's your responsibility and my responsibility to steward over those, to care for those. We, we established early on in this series, but more importantly, established in the scripture is that we're really not owners of anything. We're stewards. We care for the things that we're given. And some of us are given a lot more than others. Some of us have gifts that uh, our purpose and the role that we have, the responsibility in life, requires more resources. The challenge for all of us is, am I using my resources in a way that is honoring God? And that's what Jesus is talking about here, ultimately. It's not really the problem with this person prospering that he describes. It's, what do you do with the prosperity? Um, so anyway, so we stopped after four out of these ten. We, we, we did last week live with faith, live with gratitude, live with awareness, and live with discipline, and today we're going to pick it up with live with math, live your invitation, live gaining wisdom, live open-handed, live into opportunities, and live for a final audit. Sound good? And I'm going to do this in six minutes. (laughs) Anyway, some people said yes. You obviously haven't been here long, but I will, I am going to try to do this, uh, efficiently. So, uh, so number five here is live with math. Now, um, again, this is one of those things we talked about a couple of weeks ago of understanding the power of compounding, right? So living with math is living with addition and multiplication by subtraction, or to more clearly put it, understand that compounding not only works so we, we, I, gave a, I gave an example, for instance, of if you were a, a 20-year-old puts $1,000 in the bank at 20 years old and gets 10% interest on that or 10% return on that compounded, at 70 years old, they come up with $117,391. That's without adding any money to that. That's just compounding at 10%. And, you know, a lot of you are saying, well, we're working at 10%. Forget all of that. It's just the power of compounding. And it's not, it's not foreign to all of us, but we don't pay a lot of attention to it. Well, uh, the converse of that is what I want to just mention today, is you, you have to live with the math. So when you, when you hear people talk about dig out, digging out of debt or make sure that you get out of debt, um, it's this principle. Compounding works for us, and compounding works against us. I mean, think about that, for instance, that when you were 20, if you put $1,000, borrowed $1,000, and you were charged 10% a year for 60 years, you would be out 116,000 and some change, right? That feels a lot worse than the other side of it to us. And we forget it, and a lot of us would say, and it's true, uh, we would say, well, I don't, there was nothing that I borrowed that I had a 60-year note on. No, but a lot of us will live for 60 years and never get out of debt. And you've been paying maybe not 10%, but we pay these, these enormous amounts of interest 
and you can't avoid that, I don't think. You certainly can't avoid it totally. But what there, I don't have time to get into this conversation. It's really not about debt as much as it's about your net worth. So that's a little more nuanced, and we could talk about that kind of stuff. But sometimes, like many of you, for instance, probably have a mortgage and you're paying interest on it. The, the intent here isn't to make you feel like that's a horrible thing. It's an awesome thing that you have a home, right? The issue is, but your home is creating equity and it, it's building your net worth every time you make a payment on that house. So there's a couple, it's not just that simple. It's not just about getting out of debt. And I just want to leave this point with this admonishment. When it comes to debt, if you struggle with debt, the easiest place to start is start with the smallest things that you can kind of champion over first. Don't try to swallow the whole elephant. Go for the elephant's toenail, okay? And you can get some encouragement out of that. So we want to live with the math. The second thing is we want to, we want to live our invitation, our call. Um, I love that this week uh, Kathleen started the SHAPE class because in that there's this conversation around gifts and talents and purpose and your passion. It's a great, um, it's a great group to get involved in. Uh, if you can still get involved in it now, I'm not sure um, but next time it rolls around, if you wonder, like, what, am, what is my purpose or what am I created to do? What are my passions? And it's just a great kind of process. A few weeks you go through and it asks you some great questions. But the reason that it, that's important is um, what can happen to us when it comes to, uh, especially with finances, is we tend to kind of measure ourselves by each other, right? Remember that you're not me and I'm not you. Remember that you're not the guy on CNBC. You're not, you're not the guy that in the other side of the room here or the couple that, you know, maybe seem to be very successful or vice versa. Dare not compare yourself by yourself. We've already talked about that. But the bigger issue is that I would find out and you would find out what's the invitation for my life because God provides for what God calls for. God would never call you into something that God wouldn't give provision for that to be lived into. Does that make sense? Therefore, it becomes important that you live your invitation. Psalm 16, 5 and 6 says this. It says, Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Here's the question. You might want to write it down. What is mine to do in the world? That affects your career. That affects your education. That affects uh, possibly where you live certainly affects who you relate to and who you connect with. What is mine in the world to do? And also understand that's a question that's not a one-time question, right? Those of us that have lived for quite a while, you, you realize either you've had to ignore that question or you realize that question changes as time goes on because seasons change and God sometimes asks for something different or new, and you want to lean into that, right? 
Um, and then the next one here, number seven, is that we would live gaining wisdom. Pick your people. We've talked a little bit, and I've kind of just given you the 30,000-foot view around uh, this issue of there's no place like the church. And this is, this is one of the key places where this lands. Um, there was a landmark study done uh, recently uh, through Facebook, actually, and they surveyed 74 million people. 74 million people. It's incredible, isn't it? And the questioning was around, there's a, there's a lot of struggle when it comes to opportunities and this question of, you know, why is it that when people, you know, like if we're, if we're working hard to create opportunities for people, which opportunities just means everybody gets a fair shot at something. It doesn't mean that we all get the same shot. It just means everybody gets a fair shot at kind of moving up or having some uh, opportunities to grow or whatever, right? But we seem to give a lot of attention to that, but in spite of how much, and when I say we, I just mean as a culture or even as a world, as much work as we do around that, we don't really do well because over the last 40 years, there's a real stuckness. And as a matter of fact, it's getting more entrenched. If you, in other words, you grow up in a certain neighborhood, you're probably going to have a future that's going to look a certain way, especially economically. The big difference that they've noticed after this study, it was in Nature, Nature Journal, the big thing that they noticed in this study was that opportunity, um, in order for people to get opportunity to move up and to be open to new things, they have to connect and bridge social capital. So what they have found is if you take, for instance, two neighborhoods that are very poverty-stricken, the big element for the folks in the one poverty-stricken neighborhood that might move up and have more opportunities seem to have this, they seem to be able to bridge social capital. In other words, what we do, what we tend to do is we tend to get in silos, right? And we just surround ourselves with people of same kind of standard of living and life. And we just kind of affirm that, whether it's lack, we affirm the lack, or we affirm the, um, we affirm the prosperity. The key to moving out of that is to bridge what's called social capital, which is a term that's been around. Social capital has been around over 100 years. But now there's this term that's emerging. It's called bridging social capital. And there's nowhere in the world, and this study has found this, nowhere in the world does, does opportunity seem to shift more than in, in the church, in religious settings where you come into a place where there's people of diverse backgrounds and opinions and experience and they share those things together. And they interviewed one very successful young female attorney who came out of a situation where she grew up in a poverty-stricken neighborhood her parents divorced. It was very difficult, her childhood. But she said her mom always told her, work hard, study hard, gave her all those things. And she said that was so important. Said to be honest, every, like all the core kind of foundational things. She said my mom was just amazing. She said, but really what helped me become an attorney was when I went to church and I sat in the homes of pastors 
and other attorneys, and I sat in the home of teachers, or I was in meetings, and they talked to me about different things. And she said they opened up things to me that we just didn't know to have those conversations in our house. We didn't know to talk about SATs because my mom didn't know about SATs. So she said it was through that exposure that she started to open up to new realities, and it was in that social bridging. So there's no place like the church. This study, that's what they found. They didn't use the terminology, there's no place like the church, but ultimately they found there's no organization or institution. When you think about it, because like when you go to work, whatever you do, you like get kind of siloed into similarities, right? But there's nothing like this that any of us experience. And when you think about the potential in things like small groups where you sit in a room or even this room where you sit in a room and you have conversation before or after church with people that have experience that they may take for granted, but the wealth of the people sitting next to you, around you, the experiences they've had, how God has done wonders in their life and wonders in your life And in the sharing and bridging of that social capital, God does something amazing. The scripture says that in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish devour all that they have. So the question is this with this one, what area could I use more wisdom when it comes to my finances? Who do I need to connect with? Who are the people that might be able to just encourage me on things around? How do I just make ends meet? How do I bring increase to the things that I've already been given? How do I grow in generosity? How do I position for a home purchase? How do I effectively save and how much should I save? How do I establish financial goals? How to prep for the problems of life? or for my future. One of the greatest privileges Claire and I have talked about that we have had and we do not take for granted, but we realize that it was a privilege in how hard our parents worked. And there was an impartation of hard work and the dignity of work in our life. And when I was young, I kind of took it for granted, but as I am now older and I realize the dignity of that and how my, my parents and Claire's parents and just their ethic of work and commitment to hard work, how important that is. And there are so many things in our lives, folks, that we take for granted. Not everybody has been given a work ethic. It was never modeled to them. It was not something that they could easily just flow into because they saw their parents do it. And there's so many of these things in our lives, and we have such a wealth to share with one another just by showing up and being generous and vulnerable with one another. Sound good? Number eight is live open-handed. The scripture says in Luke 6.38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. 
This directly speaks to this parable that Jesus cites here in Luke 6. It really is about living open-handed. Um, pastor friend of ours, early on in our life in Christ, I was in a prayer meeting with him one day. The church that we were a part of back then, this was in the Detroit area, was doing a, a fundraiser uh, for just, we were we were actually trying to purchase a building. We were renting um, a school before that. We were getting ready to try to purchase a building. And um, we're having this prayer meeting. And one of the other leaders, pastors in the room, he started to tear up. And he said, you know, I've, I've never realized this before. But because we were praying about what would our own commitment to that be as, as families uh, represented in the room. And he teared up and he said, I, I, I never realized this. He said, as we're praying, I realize how tightly clenched my hands are. And, and God is speaking to me that if I will not open my hands, God cannot release more into my care because my hands are so clenched. And he was a person that was certainly a giver, a regular giver and committed, but he realized that God was calling him to live open-handed. The truth is, is we're called to be like a river, not the Dead Sea, right? The Dead Sea just receives and receives and receives. We're called to be more like a river that flows, that there's this flow of blessing that comes in our life and out of our life. There's this just flow of goodness, this flow of nourishment, that feeds all sorts of things. It feeds the banks uh, of the river. It feeds the wildlife that's in the river. It provides, and it's also cared for itself, right? Like out of nowhere, rivers get nourished from rainfall or snow melts or, you know, uh, other streams and creeks and springs. They just flow. Be like a river, let it flow through your life. Um, I love to think that I, I want to live the kind of life where not only we will, Claire and I will give until it helps, but then we'll give some more. Not give until it hurts, give until it helps, and then give some more. <clears throat> this is the wisdom, actually. I, I, I won't spend a lot of time on this at all, but just a moment this is really the wisdom for me when I, when I think about percentage giving. And, you know, many of you know that the scripture in some passages describes tithing, ten, which just simply means 10% of your income, right? Um, I just see a lot of wisdom in percentage giving. I don't, you know, I'm not going to, we're not going to tell you you need to give 10%. If you want to give 10%, we think that's amazing. We have people that give a lot more than 10%. We have people that give 10%. We have people that give a lot less than 10%. I just want to invite you to the wisdom of percentage giving and think about a river. Like um, a river, when, when things are drier, only has so much to give, right? But if you're giving it a percentage, it doesn't affect. Your giving amount goes down, but the percentage, if it stays the same, is, is going to be adjusted to the flow of the river. It's either springtime or fall, right? And then in winter, maybe it's less. And in the middle of summer, maybe it's less. You get that? That's the beauty, for instance, of 
the, the widow's mite, it's not that, it, it wasn't so much the amount. There were people walking up to the baskets and just loading up the baskets. And Jesus uses her as the example and says, look, her percentage is like off the chain, essentially, is what he does, right? So maybe just consider, God, where are you inviting us? Um, and I would invite you to consider percentages with just the way you budget your money because there's just a lot of wisdom. Business owners would tell you this. There's wisdom in paying attention to percentages when it comes to resources. Live opportunities. Now, um, have you ever felt, some of you today, even as we're having this conversation, you just feel hopeless, you feel handcuffed, you kind of feel trapped, and this can be a discouraging conversation for you. I want you to just breathe and understand, like we said last week, there is no shame that God would ever put on us when it comes to our resources or anything. It's not God's way. God's not trying to shame you into doing something well. It's God's loving kindness that will lead you to repentance or correction or into life. That's the way it works. It's not shaming you. It's not guilting you. But I want you to breathe a minute and just understand that there are always options, always options, and there are always opportunities. There always are. And it may not feel that way sometimes, but there are always options and opportunities. The less margin we have, the less options and opportunities we have, but there's still options and opportunities. So I just want to ask you, where might you feel trapped with no financial options? And this gets back to what we mentioned last week briefly. When it comes to finances and why we're even having this conversation, one of the reasons is this is an issue of spiritual and self-care. Your finances, because when you consider how anxious you are about your resources and how worried you can get and how trapped you can feel, know that the enemy's trying to use that in your life to break you down. Remember when Claire and I were first married, um, we, we, you know, we've said before, the first year we were married, we made a little over $8,000. That was our W-2 the first year we were married. And um, we did have, in those early years, we'd have these moments where all of a sudden we had extra money. It's kind of a joke, isn't it? Extra money. Anyway, um, even when you say it, it's like, well, there's really never extra money. It's kind of always going somewhere, but we would. We'd have these times when we felt like we had a couple hundred dollars extra money or whatever. And um, sure enough, it seemed like, and we used to laugh about this, it seemed like then a car would break down or the refrigerator needed to have service. Um, and after a few years, took us a few years, you guys are smarter than us, it took us a few years, we realized it's like, you know what? That, that was God's provision. Like, at first, we were disappointed by that. Like, well, there goes our $250 of extra money. And then we realized that God was trying to train us to not just go out and be foolish with that $250 because Monday was coming, right? And it was like sometimes on Monday, the car breaks down. 
And once we lived into that grace, we could give gratitude for the provision God was giving us in advance. So we really didn't have to worry about it. And then number 10, live for a final audit. I think the most important financial wisdom, and Jesus speaks about it here, uh, is simply that we're all going to die one day. Tell your neighbor that. Somebody sitting near you, you are going to die one day. Welcome to Crossroads. Just a reminder. This is what Jesus says. He says to be ready for that day. And there's deep wisdom in that. It's probably the most important financial wisdom. Jesus said it this way, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. To me, the difference here is the invitation I think Jesus is giving is for us to live a life where our life is invested and not live a life where our life is spent. God did not create you to just spend your life. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a masterpiece. And God has so many amazing plans for your life. And God believes that your life is worth being invested in, not only for this generation, but circling all the way back to the start of this series, but transgenerationally. Your life is to be a life of wealth, of relationships, of loving God and loving neighbor. A life that is worth leaving for the next generation. So that's the question. Are you investing your life or are you spending it? The reason I know that this is pretty clear is I've sat down with a lot of people, end of life, including people that I'm really close to that really worked hard to and lived in a way to invest their life. And none of them have ever said to me, gosh, I wish I made more money. I've been with people that were glad they were going to leave money with their family or somebody else, but nobody ever said, I wish I'd have made more money. I've had people tell me what mattered most to me was that I loved God. In those last moments, I've had people once again circle around and ask for forgiveness. There were some people that wanted to possibly stay longer, and they were asking for healing. There were people that were asking God to give them leadership with what they did have and what to do with that, some some wisdom around that. But most of the people have that I've been with have just given a lot of gratitude for the people around them that they were able to love, that they were able to live in relationship with, and that they were able to bless and they were blessed by. And most of all, the people that seem to die best 
are the people that have this sense of how much God loves them, and they invested their life in that. So as we pull this together, all of us can do that now. We can, we can take a moment and ask God to kind of redirect some things in our life and begin to do that in our life now. It's just a small step. But what I want to do is I just want to go into silence for a moment. And as we do that, I want you just to consider, uh, maybe this is the first week you've been here, consider what we've said today and maybe what God has been speaking to you about that or is speaking to you. Just sit with that. If you've been here for more or the whole series, I just want you to sit with what God might be speaking to you in the Holy Spirit. Let's give the Holy Spirit some space for each one of us in the next moment. Let's read the scripture together. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a good inheritance. And then let's speak this over one another. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Amen. Scott, thank you for these messages. And we're so grateful. There's going to be a class on December 2nd. And um, so anybody who wants to continue the conversation with Scott, that would be a great place to go. Amen. Have a wonderful week.